Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. My name's Justin Lee. I'm joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. How are you guys doing? Doing great, Justin. Thank you. Hopefully, you can't complain. Oh, we can complain, and we will complain today, no doubt, about uh, at least Detroit sports things. Um, It's been quite a while since we've dropped a show, so uh, we're doing this on the 11th of, or I'm sorry, the 6th of November, the 11th month. I got that part right. Here, 2022, um, so much has happened since the last time we were here. Obviously, we need to talk about... um, uh, Red Wings kicking off their season, the Pistons, uh, Tigers making a big, a uh, couple of big moves. Um, obviously, we've got college football. We need to talk about Oakland basketball is going to be starting up here. Well, technically has started exhibition season and um, other things that I am. Neg- oh, there's that other team. And so we got lots and lots to talk about here on this edition of the Sports Emporium. Now, typically speaking, we start with OU basketball. So I figured we can talk a little men's basketball. They played a couple of exhibition games, and they kick off their season in Defiance, Ohio. You know who's from Defiance, Ohio, Mr. Greg Campy. And um, so they start off in Defiance uh, Monday, so tomorrow, and um, have uh, some really, as always, some pretty cool – uh, non-conference games, uh, including Syracuse, which I thought was uh, pretty nice, um, and quite a different-looking roster. And the one thing I will say as I tee this up for you gentlemen is very young roster uh, to boot. You're right. and I mean, uh, guys, as far as I'm concerned, you know, the, the roster starts and ends, in my estimation, with Jalen Moore, who I guess now has a, a bit of a uh, – challenging ankle issue at this point um and uh, but but just into your point when i'm looking at the schedule i think obviously the highlight of the schedule this is a home game against oklahoma state uh that kind of the uh, 13th yep. of the you know the month um but you know again you you have uh, bowling green uh toledo uh eastern michigan they're playing in uh in, in the bahamas and to your point a mm, game yeah. uh, at syracuse and at uh uh, hopefully the snow of northern New York doesn't uh, get underway at the 6th of uh, December. But, um, you know, Brandon, when I'm when I think about this team, though, Jalen Moore, uh, with him kind of being out, it'll be an interesting opportunity for guys like Trey Townsend, Rocket Locks, who's a, a, a new name to me, at least to me, and a guy that's kind of um, slowly but surely progressing as a player is Blake Lampman. Uh, that uh, seems to be uh, um, getting a little, will definitely get more of an opportunity to kind of get going as time goes along here. Yeah, I think this is the first year in quite some time that Oakland has actually had the kind of depth to hold on when a guy like Jalen Moore is out. You know, we've just really ever since um, we lost um, Norris to uh, Chicago Loyola, you know, they have really struggled with point guard depth. Uh, and now they have the luxury of having not only Rocket Watts, who can do a little bit of ball handling, but also Lauren Bowman, um, who I think, you know, if he hangs around, uh, could be quite a star uh, in the Horizon League, uh, you know, based on his talent level. So, you know, they've got the, the backcourt to make it work and hang on for a little bit. Um, you know, I think just unfortunately every other year, you know, it's what's the weakness on the team, right? And the front court depth is thin, particularly the scoring, you know, Trey Townsend 
opportunity to be maybe a, you know, a first team guy, but it gets pretty thin after that, you know, and, you know, they are young, but I think that's just what the, that's just what seems to be the, the flavor of things for most teams these days, especially when you're dipping into the transfer portal. So, you know, I think the question will be, you know, how well they can they defend? Uh, and then can they stay out of foul trouble in the front court? Uh, and those will be some of the themes for them all year long, because I think the backcourt will be electric. You know, and I, I wonder within this conference, you know, I, I mean, it's it's always great to have a good front court, right? I mean, you, you, the big guys and whatever, especially when you're having this non-conference schedule. But in, in the end, I, I just wonder whether or not having that better backcourt is your is to your advantage within a Horizon League conference. Well, I, I, yeah, I was going to say something just to that effect is, I mean, their, their front court is, I don't want to say non-existent, but very close to it um, in terms of size. And not that this is like some new revelation or some, some difference, but um, I think, I think it's at the point where I think you have to embrace if you've got talent in the backcourt, I think you have to embrace it. And this has been something Campy's done forever, right? Is embrace the uh, the long ball, if you will. And I think I think that that trend continues. It, it, it just seems like when they've had really good front court presence, that well, they just haven't been able dominate. to really. Yeah, but they haven't really been able to really turn it into a, a run. That, that That's my whole point where I feel like I'm more disappointed when I think, oh boy, if they have a good front court, they're going to really be able to go places because they're in the conference they're at. And I just, I, I'll, that'll be to me, one of the telling stories of this team as we watch them uh, um, go through their uh, um, you know what? You know what though? I almost, I almost don't think it matters because this team has had a lot of talent in the front court a couple of years ago um, when they had the two, two bigs that were far bigger than almost anyone else in league play uh, when right. they were together on the floor. They can't play defense and win close tournament games. And until they can do that, where the talent is on the roster doesn't matter. It doesn't right. matter. I mean, right. they are, you know, last year, I think they had the talent and they had the grit, but they were completely gassed because it was a six man rotation. You know, we yes. talked about it. I mean, we've, you know, the great prognosticators as we are, you know, wrong, you know, 99% of the time, but we talked about it mid season, you know, that we thought that they were going to run out of gas and they did exactly that and barely beat a team that had what I think four, five players that were able to play in their first end in their first horizon league tournament game, you know, Illinois, you know, barely beat them, you know, and then got you know wiped out in the next game. And this was a team with, far more talent than maybe all but one or two other teams. So to me, it's all about defense and can they stay healthy and have something in the tank down the stretch. And so that's why I thought Campy did a really nice job bringing in not one, but two guards um, to spell Jalen Moore. Obviously he's hurt, but even during the year, you've got a three man rotation now that you can do some things with and, and keep, keep your, and those are the three most talented guys in the roster. And so you can, you can keep, uh, keep them fresh. And that's one thing that struck me uh, just in these first couple of exhibition games is that um, I expected to see more of Lauren Bowman and he's really only played a few minutes in both games. 
and it'd be cur- I'm just very curious to see how his role develops over the course of the season. Yeah, he has not played much basketball. Um, highly recruited, you know, in the Big Ten, had multiple offers from Big Ten schools, settled in Wisconsin, yep. you know, ran into some, you know, emerging guys that I think cut into his playing time and then had some off-the-court challenges. You know, nothing nefarious, but just struggling with, you know, being away from home, things of that nature, it sounded like. So he's got some catching up to do. But he's still a three-star recruit that was recruited by Wisconsin. It means he can play ball. And then the same for Rocket Watts. Like, yeah. Rocket Watts was playing substantial minutes for a Spartan team that was quite good. Um, and so if these guys can can get back up to speed, get some confidence, stay healthy, they're going to do a lot of damage in, in the league. They're just too talented. Agree. So that's the early prognosis. And, and as always, it's, you know, we have to kind of wait and see what happens once we get rolling. And I'm sure we'll talk more about that as we, we finish out the year and before we get into the conference play and what have you, but um, it'll just be interesting to see. And um, keep, I would say keep an eye on, keep an eye on Harvey. Uh, he was kind of an under the radar transfer uh, from Missouri state um, undersized uh, for a forward, but again, talented guy. Um, grad transfer, so he's got some experience uh, to help out Townsend and Conway. So keep he's the kind of guy that I could see with so much the attention down low on Townsend and then them playing the guards really uptight. You know, I think if he can score a little bit more than Chris Conway was able to last year uh, in that five role, um, I think, you know, it could really lead to some good things for them. Yeah. And, and, and obviously Conway's still there and, um, and to your point, Brandon, there is quite a bit more depth on the team, barring injury and other some such nonsense. So, you know, I do think, like you said, Campy did a nice job of bringing in a little bit more, um, a little bit more depth because you can't survive with a five, six man go of it. So sticking in the world of college athletics, it's, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times, at least uh, depending on which program uh, you may follow. Uh, obviously, U of M with their uh, first their Mickey Mouse uh, early schedule, but then um, since then have just really dominated on on the field almost every game. Um, Michigan State has been quite uh, quite the opposite. Although they had a big win yesterday, um, which, you know, <laughs> you got to love the Jekyll and Hyde uh, approach there. But let's start with Michigan because they're a happier story. And, you know, I always like to do happy. Um, so um, it's been it's been quite a ride. Uh, they've pretty well steamrolled. And that said, obviously, there's one big brick wall out in the distance that we've talked about before in the past, but I'll turn it over to you guys. You know, guys, I, when I'm thinking about Michigan football uh, and I've, I've, you know, I've watched enough of this team to get a feel for one, their, their defense is incredible. And they seem like wine. They seem to get better as the game goes on, which I, is pretty incredible. Yeah. Um, they seem to, the other thing that they're able to do, and, and Brandon, you talked about it before, 
previewing the season is that, that, that this offensive line might be better than last year's, which I kind of held my breath on. And, uh, um, you know, in terms of that commentary, it ends up being a, a very accurate statement. But the, the, the one thing I, I think my, my big takeaway here, and, and I, I'll tell you what, the upcoming schedule will be interesting. I mean, Nebraska, Illinois, before the Ohio State game, but the, the concern I have with this team is that they get into a close game and they have to get into a passing. And that seems to be the Achilles heel at this point where that's the it's inconsistent um, with the only thing that and maybe we'll get to it a little bit later. But it seems like it doesn't matter who you are up in the top 6-12. Everyone seems to have their Achilles heel. But for sure, it seems to be the passing game with uh, the Wolverines. Yeah, I mean, I think we're in a place where, and this is a really good place for Michigan to be, is we're now assessing very precise, specific weaknesses of them and trying to understand whether those weaknesses are going to prevent them from going to the college football playoff. And that's a very, very different place than where this program was in 2019 and 2020, which is basically whenever they played anyone that had anywhere close to equal level talent that was ranked, they were getting their clocks cleaned. You know, and now they have evolved to the place where you're going, can they stop Ohio State's wide receivers? You know, can they stop the deep ball? You know, it doesn't look good, uh, you know, just even based on some of the things that were happening last night. But that's a really good place for the program to be. You know, I think, you know, I, you know, we talked a lot in the last show about the the quarterback thing. You know, I, I, I still don't feel all that differently than I did then. And, you know, I think. There's no way you can convince me that J.J. McCarthy is a better quarterback than Cade McNamara right now. And so I just, you know, I just think that Harbaugh just did a disservice to McCarthy by not coming out and just saying they're really close. McCarthy has a higher ceiling. He's the long-term guy. That's why we're going with him. Fair. Do it. But then you know what you're going into. You know, every on every broadcast, all you hear is how explosive he is and how dynamic he is. When? Where? You know, I mean, they really, really struggle. I mean, he, they missed multiple downfield passes last night. And again, I think he's going to be really good next year. Like he may be, you know, in the top two or three quarterbacks in the Big Ten next year, but that's next year, you know. And so they've got to be really cognizant of their downfield throwing. I think, Adam, you're spot on. You know, if they get into a tight game and they got to throw, throw in the air with Ohio State, like that's not going to go well. You know, and I, I do wonder, I mean, I, I will say the other thing that we've been critical of this Michigan program of is that we felt like the coaching left a lot to be desired. And it sure seems like the coaching staff has absolutely upgraded their ability to do the planning, the executing, and, you know, the play calling, whatever. I, in the back of my mind, I do, when I look at the talent on this team, and it had been a prevailing thought up until last night, is is this a team that is really trying to play? Is the coaching staff trying to play a really tight playbook until they get to that Ohio State game? That's, and, and then the concern, though, is that when you're watching these down downfield passes, and again, I, I didn't get the chance to see what the wind was like. I mean, it was like the, when you look at CJ Stroud, uh, and, and I don't think he was able to do much in Northwest. The wind was terrible. No, that wasn't okay. I, I, I think just... But, but I do think there's a lot of the, hey, we're going to play the first half of this playbook all season until we go into, in, down to Columbus, and then we'll unleash the second. With, again, I'll reiterate the concern is, are they going to be able to execute some of those plays? 
the good thing is, Adam, is that Ohio State looks pretty weak. They look Correct. beatable. You know, I, you know, they are a team, I think, much like their team last year that has a little bit of a glass jaw. You know, you get them out there on a 70 degree and sunny day and let them run all over the place. Well, sure, they might be the, one of the top two or three most talented teams in the country. But if you, you, once you start throwing just even little bits of adversity at them, they can't run the ball. And just like Michigan struggled with the downfield throw, that, that's going to be limiting for them. You know, they were, I, I get it. There was rain yesterday and wind, but Northwestern was one and seven and Ohio state was a 40 point favorite. Right. You no, shouldn't no, be I, up seven points with five minutes left to go. No, I agree. I agree. I, I, I mean, to that point, and you know, and remember the Buckeyes, you know, the Buckeye nation tried to play this little game at the end of last year's after the game. And they said, Oh, you know, we, there was a bit of a flu bug that went through the team, you know, that, that was the little bit of the report after and. And, uh, you know, I, 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 again, and, and the next two games will, you better don't start looking too far down the road. And I don't think Harbaugh has them looking any farther than Nebraska and then Illinois, right? A tough game against Illinois. Yeah. And, and I, I don't, that'll be a, a pretty angry team uh, with Illinois after the loss yesterday. So. It, it, but, you know, I think the bigger story is the program is in a really good place and credit to Harbaugh for yeah. that. As much as yeah. I disdain his some of his antics and his decision making, um, the program's in a really good place. And I think, you know, I think we will look back in a couple of years and realize that on the offensive side of the ball, for sure, you probably have seven or eight NFL caliber players. And that's, that's a special thing. You know, both running backs will play on Sunday. You've got a couple wide receivers that got a shot. Two tight ends, one that's done for the year, probably will both play on Sunday. And then the offensive line. So credit to the recruiting. I mean, that is, you know, got to give them a lot of credit. You know, and I think the, the, the thing that will get brought up immediately when you're talking about Michigan football this year is the game against Georgia last year where they got Maui locked, right? Yeah. Um, I thought until going into yesterday that Georgia might be a, a few, a, a shift or two below what they were last year. And, and a large part of that had to do with them not playing, you know, them losing a lot of talent. Let's make sure. I mean, they, they lost a lot of talent to the NFL last year. Um, but not only that, but it seemed like there were some games that they were very lackadaisical. I felt like the coaching staff had not done their job to make sure they understood you, Georgia. You need to go in there. You need to execute. Um, that kind of that whole story I just told kind of got minimized with the tearing up of Tennessee. That was, I think Tennessee is pretty good. I think the win against Alabama was maybe a little overrated more than it needed to be. But now I'm looking at the, the, this picture, and, and I, I, I think the, the narrative of saying that Michigan's the number two team in the country is a very, very good one with, of course, Georgia being number one. Yeah, I think it'll be very interesting on Tuesday to see where they land. You know, the crazy thing about Georgia is, you know, we got there was a crazy amount of hype about Georgia after game one when they absolutely annihilated a very, very good Oregon team. And then, Adam, to your point, they fell asleep. Um, they, and again, you know, the Missouri game, which they could have very easily lost, maybe should have lost. They were outplayed that night, I think. But you see when they need to dial it back up, it's right back to that Oregon caliber effort yesterday against Tennessee and really yeah. gave a team that was just about as fun and electric as any team we've had the opportunity to watch in the last few years. Just just ground them down to nothing. 
you know, right. and the, you know, probably the lead, you know, candidate uh, for the Heisman going into the game, Hendon Hooker, you know, st- stifled. So they're, they're going to be a problem. But, you know, when you think about Michigan's goals for the year, realistically, if they are going to get by the Buckeyes, it's all about that ranking, right? And avoiding Georgia in that first game, which they weren't able to do last year. You know, if that's right. if that's their destiny, because I think yep. they're capable of beating any of the other teams in the field. And I yep. did not feel that way last year with Georgia and Alabama. I felt like it and eh, probably not able to win those games. But I think other than Georgia, you know, they could get to a title game if everything bounces right for them. No, and I do think I'll, I'll be, you know, if, if they got into a game with Alabama right now, I, I which I don't think they're now going to because Alabama lost yesterday. Um, I, I, I don't, I, I, to your point, I think they can beat everyone pretty handedly, relatively speaking, in, in, in those games, but other than Georgia. So, so as we mentioned, um, Wolverine's next game is against Nebraska. And uh, be plenty to keep an eye on from there. But just as a quick parting thought, one of the things that we've talked about quite a bit over the last couple of years is um, not being overly impressed with Harbaugh's coaching staff. And maybe, and, and I, I would want to see more than one year of it, but maybe maybe they've kind of turned a little bit of a corner. And part of the reason why I bring that up is because of um, adjustments. Adjustments are the biggest part of a coach's responsibility in football. And they've been able to adjust this year. Other years, it's been much more difficult. So be interesting to see what uh, what comes of that yeah i i mean i think the the thing that you know and he's had a little help there from from family but i mean he is rotating in and out nfl caliber coordinators you know yeah yeah um last year you know and then this year mentor mcdonald i mean these guys are outstanding defensive coaches yeah. and you know you're going to have a team with lots of talent and so you know you put these guys that are used to scheming up you know against you know patrick mahomes um, you know, they'll figure out ways to beat Rutgers in the second half. So, <laughs> Hey, fair point. Fair point. So um, speaking of um, electric, let's talk about the Spartans. Okay. Maybe not electric. That might not be quite the, uh, quite the right word. Um, so they, they had a pretty rough patch there. About five games didn't look so good for them. Um, although big win over Illinois yesterday. One, two of their last three, not a good performance against the Wolverines, but are where where are we? And and and, and that's not even getting into the off the field shenanigans, obviously. But uh, where is this program? I, I personally want to avoid any conversation about off the field. Quite honestly, I just feel like there's not enough information as far as I'm concerned. Really, yeah talk about it intelligently, but I'll leave that to you too. From an on the field standpoint, I think one is that we, we figured out um, that uh, post Kenneth Walker, uh, uh, it, it's a real uphill climb. And oh, by the way, Kenneth Walker is pretty darn good in the pros too. Um, and I think the other thing that really hurt this team is the fact that basically, I think they really got caught a little bit in terms of where their talent and the team is and all the injuries that they had, especially to the defense. I think I, at one point we're, we're without like seven starters or something of that variety. 
Um, you know, <laughs> if you get the injury bug on a team that probably is not exactly where they need to be, uh, you know, in, in terms of the maturing of the players, uh, it is going to be an uphill uh, climb. Um, you know, and Mel Tucker, I, I think on the other side, though, the, the fire needs to be pretty hot with Mel Tucker. He signed a gigantic contract. He has to be able to execute. And I will tell you, it'll be very, uh, not to be talking about next year, but it certainly has to be talked about a little bit as to whether or not there will be some pressure going into next season. But as far as this season goes, they're four and five. They get Rutgers, Indiana coming up, and then at Penn State. So uh, next two games are at home. If, if they win the next two, and, and boy, they, they have played well enough in the last two out of three games and seem to play pretty well at home. Um, I, Brandon, I, I tend to believe that they should be able to sneak into a bowl game. Uh, and, yeah. uh, and, and then at that point, though, again, Mel Tucker's got to figure out what he's going to do to right this ship next season and, and be able to execute at that $100 million level. Yeah, I mean, I think the program, you know, in my mind, the, the media attention wasn't as high at this point because of the front end of the losing streak. But to me, the real low point was the game against Minnesota, which was one of the most singularly boring games I've ever watched of any sport, um, but was just embarrassing with how bad they were outclassed by a team that's really not that good. You know, Adam, I think your comment on, to me, next year is really where the questions about the program are. This was going to be a tough season for them. They were going to lose a lot of talent. You know, he's still, you know, <clears throat> Mel Tucker is still trying to get his recruits in there, you know, get them, you know, beyond being freshmen or sophomores, you know, get them into the system. You know, they had a couple of really tough road games, Washington, Illinois, Michigan, Penn State. It was going to be a tough year. You know, uh, eight wins was probably going to be on the ceiling, maybe nine if they got lucky. Um, but, it, you know, they can't get outclassed by the second tier of teams in the Big Ten. And that's happened. So I think you're right, Adam. I think they sneak into a bowl game here. But I think the bigger question is, is what are you excited about next year for this program? You know, what are what are you expecting to be, you know, the, you know, this kind of saving grace, you know, because next year you got to think, yeah, the expectations have to go up. You got to be closer to eight, nine wins. And I just don't know what they're looking forward to. You know, you look at a Michigan, they're going to lose a lot of talent, but they're going to bring back a lot of talent. They're going to bring back McCarthy. They're going to bring back Donovan Edwards. You know, they're going to have playmakers, right? And I just don't know what Michigan State's got loaded up. Loaded up. And I think that's what really concerns me is that I think Tucker will be under the gun next year. And I'm just curious, Adam, you know, how many wins do you think keeps him safe next year? I, I just think it, 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 it's more about maybe not even the uh, uh, number of wins as much as it him passing the eye test, right? He, he, the, the, this team has failed the eye test a few more times than it needed to this year. Uh, to your point, that Minnesota game was terrible for this particular, uh, you know. Uh, it was program. terrible for humanity. Yes, um, no, I, I no, But I, also for I, Michigan State. No, but, but and, and then, you know, I mean, Man, I mean, you know, the game against Maryland was like, you know, it was pretty close to the Minnesota game. But then how unbelievably lifeless they were in that Ohio State game. And again, I will go back. I will give them the token of you were you you basically had very few players that should have been on the field that defense. I'm okay, fine. But I guess to answer your question, it's less about the number of wins next year. And it's more about the eye test. Does he have, the, you know, the, the guys in the field that he needs to have 
and, and, and are they performing at the level that they need to? And to be honest with you, when I think about last year in this team, I think he will do it. I think he will be able to perform. But, uh, you know, again, he, he's got to make sure that he owns that program too. And I, I find that he's, I don't know if he really kind of owns the, the performance of this team this season. So. Yeah. Verbally, he is said he does. But boy, on the field at times, you just felt like, no, that wasn't the case. So, and, and by the way, I, I I hope Mel Tucker does, right? I mean, I, I mean, and, and I'll put out the very obvious. I, I want to see black coaches be successful and at all levels. And I, I and the good news though is I, I feel like Michigan State, the program itself, will be there to support him to make sure that he he gets what he needs to go forward. The only thing I'll add to this is being that I'm I'm a money human, um, is it would cost him a lot of money to part ways with Mel Tucker. <laughs> um, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, he's still got, after this season, he'll have eight years left on the contract for 80-ish, 78-ish million, whatever. I'm in the ballpark. Yep. Yep. Um, I mean, <laughs> that's just kind of silly, all things considered. Yeah, I think they probably were a little overzealous. Um, I think he's, I think he's, he could be a very good football coach for Michigan State. I think yeah. the contract was a little ridiculous. I think you know some some they had some shooting stars last year and some 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 pretty wild things happened. But you know, back to reality. Now it's a bit of a grind, and can he do it? You know, and you know, Michigan State is not going to have the big reversals like a Michigan. They simply can't recruit at that level. So he's going to have to build this like D'Antonio did. And he did quite well and clean, you know, tore up Michigan for, you know, six out of eight years basically by doing it. But it's a slow build. And to Adam's point, I think that's the right one. Can he maintain the eye test to keep the momentum? You know, can you be competitive in Columbus next year? You know, can you beat Michigan at home next year? Can you beat Penn State at home next year? You know, those are, you know, or play very close games, if not, you know, win. You know, those are going to be the things that will make the determination on whether he's a lame duck going into year four, basically, or year five. So with that said, um, as we mentioned, State's going to play uh, Rutgers next week. And um, we'll see. uh We'll see where things take us as we see what team shows up. Yeah. As we round out the season. So switching gears uh, into the world, of professional sports, I figure the tigers are probably the most interesting at the moment. Um, because there's certainly been quite a lot going on and I, and I have um, some interesting stuff to share uh, as well on that front, but. Tigers went out, hired Scott Harris, um, you know, uh, a a young upstart um, guy who's been in baseball his whole professional career, but is all of 36, um, has worked for some really good teams, worked with Theo Epstein. He's um, never really run run a team before, however. Uh, he was GM in Frisco, but had a president of baseball operations above him. He's going to get his chance. And um, he came in and did what a lot of executives do and cleaned cleaned house, um, getting rid of some guys who are actually fairly decently thought of around the league. Uh, and Scott Place, for example, who was Dombrowski's choice actually for scouting director um, and had been 
scouting director for about 16 years, but clearly we, we know there's a, a lack of talent in the minor leagues. So makes sense. Uh, David Chad and a variety of others were broomed from the front office and he's looking for guys. He's gone out and picked up a couple uh, of very interesting guys. Um, and all of that said, um, all we can do is wait and see. I mean, that, that that's certainly my, my approach to this, but the angle I kind of want to take this down and we can get into the players and, 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 and what have you, but the, the, the angle I want to take this down is one of the things Harris has talked about is how you have to blend analytics with old school baseball, which is very much my opinion, very much your guys' opinion. Um, and I do think it's the right approach. And it'll be very interesting to see how much that really is the case. Um, and I, I, well, let's, let's start with your thoughts on the hiring of Harris, but then I want to, I want to throw something else out at you after that to get your thoughts. Well, so I think the hiring of Harris is interesting. I always kind of uh, cringe a little bit because I, I we, we see this in a lot of, of sports, right? Where uh, in football, you know, you're in the Bill Parcells, uh, uh, Jimmy Johnson, you know, whatever coaching tree, and all of a sudden that that's the the you know the key to success. Uh, Theo Epstein, I, I feel like that you know everyone has worked with Theo Epstein at one point or another. So I don't know <laughs> that's really the you know the bar that I I want to be used. But here here's what I would say: this particular and to to that point about mixing the analytics and and the actual. Uh, understanding of the baseball. And I think that's been one of the problems with one of our local teams could the NFL, uh, a little bit too more analytics and a lot, lot less, uh, you know, football intuition. But I, I, I would say this is that I do think the cleaning out of the organization or at least a major shift in the organization is the right thing to do. Uh, there was some discussion about whether or not the just because you have analytics, you have good analytics in the base in, in the entire sure. baseball organization, right? And I think that's you know that, that an excellent point as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, you know, I'm not going to tell you I, I know Scott Harris really well, but so far what I've seen is, is a um, I, I think a very real balanced approach that he's showing, and I'm excited to see what exactly is some of the outcomes, and we'll get a feel for it with some of the you know off season um, uh, baseball. Yeah, I don't. Go ahead. I don't have a whole lot different to add. You know, I think uh, much like some of the other moves that the local teams have made over the last few years, with the exception of one. Um, you know, I think you're getting a, a fairly proven commodity. Uh, you know, I think he was able. To, you know, he moved up pretty quick at the Cubs organization and got to experience several different kind of points of time of you know how the cubs kind of you know had to you know rebuild it into the the plateau of winning the world series and then kind of kind of slowly degraded from there you know seeing how you know the young guys have kind of come up into that and then eventually you know kind of got sold off and then you know came to you know san francisco and in his second year i mean i think they had one of the best regular season records of any team you know in the last you know five or ten years i think they had like 105 107 wins so clearly really good baseball pedigree you know I'm not going to try to speak intelligently to, you know, his evaluations of, you know, I'll leave that to you, Justin, his evaluations of the internal guys in the organization. But the main thing that I'm looking for is what is, is, is him apl applying an identity to this baseball team? 
help me understand what this team's going to do really well. Um, and that's what I think he needs to do next year, you know, this offseason. You know, obviously he's got, you know, a limited number of things he can do, uh, you know, w- with kind of, you know, Scope's going to opt in, Chafin's gone, right? You know, he's got some of those things. Or, but uh, I think there's a lot he needs to clean out that are on the fringes of that 40-man roster. And then I'm very interested to see what he does, um, you know, in free agency and via trade. Because I think he's going to shake up the roster quite a bit. Well, he said as much that he was planning on making a lot of moves. Now, I don't know how much that is internal versus external, um, but for sure. Um, You know, he also brought in a couple of really well-regarded guys in Mark Connor and Rob Metzler. So scouting guys from San Diego and Tampa, two organizations that have been very successful over the last decade and bringing in some great young talent. So thumbs up there. I mean, proof is in the results of course but seems like seems like a good thing um what'll be more interesting though is i think is his relationship with aj hinch and um and so i want to take you now to really an interview that i found really really interesting um there's a local sports program that um interviewed uh, John Vanderwall. Vanderwall, a longtime Major League Baseball player, was a coach in the minor leagues for, for the Tigers for a few years. Um, and he's a Michigander, very familiar with the organization, guys in the organization. And one of the things, and, and what this interview very much resonated with me, because he seemed to be offering interesting tidbits without claiming to be like he's not, he's an insider. He knows all the things. He was saying things like, "Here's the things I know are factual. Here are the things that I've heard, but I can't tell you for sure." Um, and the way he spoke made me think, "Wow, there's a lot of lot of things there that make a lot of sense." So, got to take it with a grain of salt, as always. But one of the things that he really went on about, and he talked very much in this interview about, he's an old school baseball guy, but he understands the place of analytics. Uh, but he thinks that analytics is destroying offense in baseball. And he got into some very specific examples about that and about how teams are really, really emphasizing the uppercut swings, which as a kid, we were told never to do. Um, and he talked about like the Yankees striking out 50 times in their playoff series, you know, and it's because they subscribe to the, to the Earl Weaver strategy. Right. It's you get the long shake, you hit three run home run, you win. Um, and obviously that didn't go well for them in the playoffs. Playoffs are a different beast, which is not to say that they can't win that way, but it is by no means a guaranteed method. But setting the, the scene from that, one of the things that he really talked about, and he said the thing that really, really terrified him from what he heard from inside the organization, his friends inside the organization, is the fact that they allowed analytics to take over everything. Uh, he said that Avila went to Chris Illich five years ago and said, our analytics are garbage. And Illich said, blank checkbook, fix it. Avila then turned on the fire hose. This was Vanderhall's exact words, turned on a fire hose and didn't moderate it in any way. And, and he thought he, he thought Avila's real failing was that he let other people, 
he gave other people too much slack and just kind of let them do their thing. I didn't go in and correct, fix, whatever. Just said, okay, hands off. You guys go do your thing. And that was ultimately his downfall. Um, he said, because every single off-season move last year was A.J. Hinch's idea, not Alavila's. And um, I thought that was a very interesting statement. Again, I don't know how much truth there is to that. But what Hinch clearly carries a lot of weight in the organization. I mean, he interviewed Harris. It's very odd for a manager to interview somebody who's going to be several levels above them in the organization. Not unheard of, but very unusual. But the other thing that came out of this was the team took the approach that analytics rule all as it comes to offense. So what they were doing was basically, and this is what he said, he said these interns were running around with iPads on the major league team, telling the young players on the major league team how to adjust their swings on the fly. And that specifically the team set out last season to improve the swings of Akil Badu, Jamer Candelario, Spencer Torkelson. Um, and he's like, look at the results of that now. And he wouldn't give names as to who said what about what or so on and so forth. But he's like, there was a concerted effort to fix everyone's swing last year organizationally and that's something we talked about even as recently as the last show i believe is and it's certainly been my belief is a whole team doesn't stop to, to know how to hit that it's it's not how this works and you know and brandon you've made the argument that you know avila made a lot of high risk high reward or medium reward if you will moves and they all kind of blew up which, which has absolute validity to it, but I think it's it's more than that. I think was Akil Badu going to return to a closer to the mean? No question. Was he going to stop being able to hit at a triple A? Well, he actually hit fine at triple A, but was he stop? Was he going to not be, you know, hitting over the Mendoza line? No, that's ridiculous. Torkelson's regression, um, Candelario's regression scope's regression and again it echoes things we heard during the season scope talking about how they altered his swing grossman talking about how they altered his swing and uh, this is before grossman got traded he had mentioned you know they had tried to fix his swing like more and more as this is coming out it's like organizationally they were like we we live by this analytical picture and if you just do these things and it's, it, there's two things that they've really been focusing on, which is upswing and collapsing your backside. So dropping that shoulder and bringing the power, you know, through the strike zone as quickly as possible. Um, and that that, one, doesn't work at Comerica Park. And two, it's just not good for baseball in general. And we saw the results of it last season. So I talked a lot there. Um, but I just found it fascinating because maybe there's some confirmation bias in me because this is what I thought happened, but it was really interesting to hear somebody who has connections in the organization, has worked for the organization, knows the people involved saying, here's some things that happened. 
And then also, here's some things that I think happened. And they're right along those same lines. But Justin, real quickly, based on what you're saying, one, the, the one thing I'm wanting to get a conclusion from what you're stating is, was, was the um, author there being damning of A.J. Hinch in terms of, of what he's doing within the organization? And, and I guess, you know, I, when, <laughs> the bad news is that I think that story could probably be told with about 25, 26 other major league baseball teams, when we look at how unbelievably awful offense was across the board in baseball, right? Um, yes. And it, but it was very pronounced, as you stated, because you could break it down into with individual players uh, on the Tigers uh, in in terms of of how, how that worked out. And and I think and and to that point, that's where again the balancing of general old school baseball with analytics is is the mix that has to be done yeah and, and to answer that specifically he absolutely oh. vanderwell absolutely said offense in baseball is trash so the tigers are not special in that respect they're not special in their approach other than they took it they went from zero to 11 immediately and didn't try to to regulate it you know, they just kind of went crazy with it and have been going crazy with it. And that is part of what's caused, caused the issues with that. But yeah, he, he believes that the offense in baseball is trash and repeated that as for Hinch, he wouldn't come out and directly blame Hinch, um, but very strongly hinted at it. Um, take that as well. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it's a, you know, it completes to me, to me, it was a, more of a 50-50 argument, in my opinion. You know, and I think this validates the 50% that to me was inexplicable, which was Jonathan Scope, Robbie Grossman, um, you know, Baez, I think, to some extent, though he is always a boomer bus guy. Exactly. But, you know, it doesn't at, at all for me dispel, you know, my core argument about the uh, uh, just a horrifically put together lineup that gambled on and way too many slots. Um, you know, you're, you're expecting two 21 year olds, 20 year olds to, you know, come in and, you know, be major league hitters. Thankfully one of them is, you know, a Badoo we talked about, right. You know, you know, Haas really got hot at the end of the year. So can't fully knock him, but again, pretty much an unknown commodity, you know, prior to his breakout year, the year before. So, you know, I think just too much gambling, but I mean, I, Again, I want to understand what the identity of this baseball team is. And as much as Justin is going to cringe and, and puke at what I'm about to say, if you've got to trade some of these very exciting young guys to do it, then do it. You know, I still would go back and make the Juan Soto deal, depending on what the, the different pieces were at play there. I'd still do it, you know, because you need an identity and you need superstar caliber players now, unless you're starting over again. And then it doesn't matter. And if you want to wait for all these guys to exactly hit their prime in the right time, well, then I'd be happy to talk about this again in 2028 when they're all 26 and 27. So, you know, we've lost, you know, 500 games between now and then. I'll, I'll tell you where Scott Harris, absolutely his job. When you think about it, he's basically, you know, the president of the organization. He has to work at the Tigers being something that people pay attention to again that that is the, the public at this point 
they are they the Tigers at this point are a complete afterthought locally and probably in a lot of ways in baseball. And I don't know how you do it, but do better because I will tell you, I I can tell you usually that it would be a number one priority to turn on. I try to make it to a couple games a year, so on and so forth. I'm, I'm, I'm not there with them at this point. And, and he's got to be able to make them a formidable organization that I want to be able to turn the TV on and watch and attend a few games. Well, yeah. I mean, people were expecting a lot more this year and, and it was hot trash. Um, I mean, it was what it was and, and they got very unlucky with starting pitching and what have you that not helped the situation. Um, and yeah, it, um, but, 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 but I, 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 we talked about the analytics, we talked about player moves, so forth, but, but really the goal is to, to, to making them again, part of relevant. the conversation and relevant, right? Yeah. Cause in all honesty, this team has now gone two 10 year stretches where they've been the bottom barrel of the league in my lifetime. And yeah, it's great when they're playing great, but I, it's amazing to me, the roller coaster, almost bipolar result of this team in terms of performance. It's just like, bring, bring Dave back. You know, I love Dave. Bring Dave back. Trade everyone. Maybe. We'll get a bunch of 31 year olds and take another two year run at it and start all over again. If you're going to be successful, then there's nothing wrong with that, right? <laughs> if you win, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, I, I won't argue with that. He's a savant when it comes to trades. Well, I heard Joe he, Girardi after, you know, <laughs> 20 games. <laughs> which was, hey, it worked. It's insanity. So, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, Dave. So, um, you know, one thing Harris has said um, was that his – his philosophy, to your point, Brandon, is going to be about attacking the strike zone, offensively, defensively. It's about attacking the strike zone, better discipline with the hitters, things of that nature. And and the more I've thought about this, you know, we keep watching these young kids come up and they have, in most cases, not all, terrible plate discipline. They strike out a ton. And I just keep thinking, is it that they're drafting these guys or that they're teaching these guys this? And I am more and more convinced but it's the coaching side. I of think it, you're right. Then the draft, then the, the scouting. I, side. I think you're right. I, I think we have moved baseball offense has moved to a three outcome system. Walk, strike out, home run. It's a three outcome system. And that's why it's trash. And it's not fun to watch. Um, yeah. And eventually, you know, teams that exploit it, like the Yankees run into a team that's decided that they're going to have pitching. And then it all, it's all irrelevant, right? Um, and to some extent for the Phillies too, running into the buzzsaw that was their Astros rotation. No, I think you're exactly right. I think there is merit. That clearly the, that three outcome system is producing teams that win a lot of baseball games, but you're not one of them. You don't have the stadium for it and you don't have the personnel for it. You don't do that with kids. You do that with Aaron Judge and, and Stanton and the way that the Dodgers have constructed their lineup, the way that the guys in the Astros system have mostly, with the exception of one or two young guys, you know, mature to that level where you get, expect that production from them. You don't do that with kids. And with, you know, also Rams, you know, like Jonathan Scope, like no offense to him. Like you do it when you've got 
40, 50 home run hitters in your lineup. They don't have any of those. Yeah. So stop trying to do that. Like, Right. Right. I would really, I really, uh, when you say that the three outcome thing, I just keep thinking of all-star baseball, you know, the spinner game. And it's going to be this just literally one third each. Gary, Gary Gaetti baseball, Gary Gaetti offense. I mean, yeah. So let's, yeah, obviously we're in a wait and see at this point. The Tigers did make some changes on the coaching staff. Um, fired Scott Coolbaugh, shocker there. Um, they uh, let um, Josh Paul go. He was a quality control coach. And then they demoted Hessman and Santiago. Um, to somewhere, and then, in and then Lloyd, they let um, McClendon go too, right? Did they? Okay, I, I actually yeah, hadn't seen. I think so, okay. yeah. so and Toledo actually had a pretty decent season, um, but I think they are changing over the whole philosophy of things, um, for the better or the worse. Uh, we shall see. Um, but just to touch briefly on some of the player moves, uh, because things are going to about to get really, really interesting in the next five days. Uh, within the next five days, because the World Series ended yesterday, the Tigers have to reactivate the entire baseball roster they have in the 60-day <laughs> DL. <laughs> just a train of ambulances driving up to America Park. <laughs> they got like 10 guys. At least, yeah. yeah. Um, on the 60-day, those guys have to be returned to the 40-man roster. Um, so, and right now I think they've got 38 ish, 37 ish, cause Barnhart is a free agent. Norris is a free agent. They'll drop off. Um, so yeah, I think they'll have 38. So they got some really interesting decisions. Oh, Chafin too. Sorry. He's, forgot about he's that. Off um, to his next uh, one year layover. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so it'd be very interesting to see what the Tigers choose to do. Now there's some really easy decisions for them to make of some lower end guys they had just because they needed to field the baseball team. Um, but it'll be very interesting to see, um, you know, where some of those mid-level guys go and who they protect for the rule five draft. Um, and, you know, at, at the very least, I think when Sil Perez gets protected for the rule five draft, uh, he's a guy that you're going to want to keep your eye on. Um, he'll be in, I'm sure he'll be in, uh, the training camp had a really, really fantastic year in double A um, middle infielder. Um, and, and there's going to be a few, you know, a handful of others. Colt Keith, if he, he won't, he doesn't need to be protected yet, but um, he had a really terrific year until he got hurt right at the end of the year. A couple of really good um, prospects, but in any case, it'll be very interesting to see. Um, and I think, um, I think it'll be really interesting to see what they do with Jamer Candelario because um, I think we'll get a much better picture on the arbitration situation and what happens with him. So, you know, uh, w- that is one thing I will add that Vanderwall said is he thinks that they should keep Candelario, that the coaches screwed him up and that um, he actually is a good ball player. Um uh, now I, I've been kind of on the train. Of, were the coaches you know, were they stabbing holes in his glove? Or <laughs> not that I'm aware of. No. Um, yeah, let's let's return him back to hitting 260, please. That's the third base I want. 260 and 12 home runs. That's going to get us there. So I, I do think it's time to move on from him, uh, and I would love to see them move Bias to second. Truly, those are two things that improved. Uh, Readily to mind. 
So, but I'm sure we will talk, uh, talk much, much more about that over the, uh, over the coming weeks and see what the player moves are and uh, see what happens from there and, and get the uh, report from the infirmary is to see where everybody is at. Cause it's been not so bueno. One last thing, Joey Wentz been terrific at the Arizona fall league. I was really encouraged by what I saw out of him last season. So, and that's one takeaway from the, the tiger season is they really did have a lot of pitching depth do have yes. a lot of pitching depth. Yes. And so kudos to the organization. Just got to get healthy. Yep. Yeah, got to get healthy. All right, so moving on to another team, another local team that's had some health issues uh, and some off-the-field, off-the-rink issues in the Detroit Red Wings. Um, so very early on, we're 11 games into the season. Wings off to a very nice start to the season. Um, they have been bad for the last X number of years. Um, started off the season losing three top six forwards. Well, two top six forwards for sure. And a borderline top six guy. And that's going to be in Tyler Bertuzzi, um, Robbie Fabry, and then Jacob Prana, who left for the substance abuse program. Nevertheless, really have been really solid, have played some really good hockey, most games. And unlike what we've seen from the Tigers in recent years, made some really nice off-season pickups that complemented the team and its younger players. So any thoughts I, on that front? Well, I'll tell you the one thing that you notice is, that, and I think up to about two years ago, I think, you know, two years ago and last year, there was this, this real thirst by the fans for Dylan Larkin to really start taking over this team. Um, I, I think in a lot of ways, people felt like it, it just wasn't happening, um, though it seemed like it was kind of getting started there toward the end of last year. But this year, you know, he, he is absolutely starting to really become that guy that I think yeah. a lot of people thought he was going to be. Um, and, and again, obviously, you know, I think we talked about it during the offseason. This move of Dominica Kubalik uh, is absolutely um, everything that we thought it would be for this particular team. Um, and, and it just, you know, finally, you're getting some, uh, you know, some, some offense for this team. And in addition to that, it seems like the defense finally is showing a little bit of improvement as well. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think that's the thing I've noticed. Uh, you know, is the goaltending is better. A couple of shutouts already. Uh, they've drastically improved shots against per game. Save percentage is, I think, in the top 12. Uh, you know, I think the big, uh, their penalty killing is much better this year. Um, you know, I think the, the issue, it, to me, it's just they got to get healthy up front because they're, they're getting outshot in too many games. Uh, and I think it's going to wear down that defense kind of like it did last year. But I I mean, I don't see a reason why this team can't be in the conversation for a seven or eight seed. I, I don't, you know, and I think that's exactly what Stevie needed to do, and that's what they're doing. And so um, I would say they are exactly on track, you know, and I think, you know, they spent their money well this year, um, you know, and I think he'll have to decide, maybe if not this year, perhaps next year, you know, does he want to, you know, make a splash, you know, and make a really big deal, you know, maybe overpay via trade, overpay via free agency, to get them over the top, but I would say they are on track. And, you know, once yeah. they get healthy up front, I think this is a team that could put together a couple of runs during the year where they win seven out of nine. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so I'm excited and they're fun to watch. Yeah. Kabbalah has been fantastic yeah. thus far. And I think Adam's right on point with Larkin. Um, I, I felt exactly the same way. Um, also, um, you know, one thing I'll say about the defense, which has been much improved is that Eisman did not have a lot of choices this offseason. There were not a lot of big name free agents. So he went out and he got a couple of guys who uh, in Mata and um, the other person whose name I can't think of at the moment, really solid, solid defensemen and just come in and just make sure everything is okay. <laughs> For yeah. lack of a better way of saying it. Um, and just, and uh, Shira, uh, Shira, and just good, solid defensemen. You know, Mata can move the puck. And you get some good defensive players, good defensemen. Yeah. yeah. It really changes the look of things. Like Chronic, who is like in his fifth season, he's still only like 23. Um, just looks yes. so much better. Cider, Chronic. And I mean, yeah. uh, he's really underperformed offensively, but. Don't discount Andrew Kopp's defensive abilities and David Perron. I mean, these guys are the kind of guys that the Wings teams of old used to have sitting on their third and fourth line, second line maybe. These guys can play defense. And you see it, you know, you're however many games in the year, 15 or whatever, and you got a goalie that's got a sub two goals against average. So could not fathom that uh, over the last five years. No, and I I wanted to point out Perron being just an old school Wings pickup. Yes. Uh, Boy, that's just the guy you want to have uh, on your roster, on a roster like this. And Cop, I think fans will really, really come to like him a lot. Um, he won't be flashy. He won't put up huge points. Um, they'll like him a lot. Uh, and then the other player I wanted to point out was uh, Michael Rasmussen, you know, number one pick a few years back. Um, and this is, I think, his fifth year-ish, fourth year, fourth year. Uh, and he's still only 23. 23. Yeah. Um, and I think you're going to see him really start to come into his own. Um, and the Wings still have some young guys not up yet who are terrific. And really interesting pickup in uh, Vili Huso. Um, and he has played so good. Um, so very, very interesting. Uh, situation and we haven't even talked about uh, the new head coach either so i mean it's there's a lot going on here uh quite a lot is uh the wings finally moved on from Blashill and went over to derek lalonde and um so far so good so yeah i think the one thing you've kind of touched on in a couple of different points of your comments is just their youth i mean david perron's 34 other than that, almost everyone else on the roster is under 30. Yes. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yes. And in fact, even under 25. Yes. I mean, you got that's it. what's yep. crazy. Lucas yep. Raymond, who's off to a slow start. And, and like him and Cider, they're going to have your, your two best players. Time. Your two best players are like 21 and 22. Right. They won't be as good probably as last year. They'll be fine. Um, and they're 21 and 22 years old and are going to be great for a long time. Yeah, a cider in particular to me is going to be he'll, he'll win a Norris or two in his career. No question about that. Um, so with that said, very exciting, very exciting start. Um, 
we'll jump to the over to the the Pistons as well um, as they've gotten their season underway. Um, and I know we're not super deep into the season. I actually have not paid much attention to uh, what's been going on. But again, there's some, you know, the Pistons have gone through quite a lot over the last <laughs> however many years. Um, you know, what is this season going to hold for Trader Troy and uh, and uh, who he brought in, the, you know, into the whirlwind for this year? I'm going to defer to Brandon because I'm, I'm would like to because I, I I don't know this team is very frustrating. So. Yeah, I think I think ultimately Adam's uh, comment there is the, is the right takeaway. You know, I was extremely bullish on their draft. You know, was saying crazy things, and I still believe those crazy things. To me, when you look at Ivy and when you look at Duran out there, considering that Duran you know is barely allowed to you know enter a casino without an adult. Um, you know, I believe that they have two extraordinary talent, young guys in Duran and Ivy. And you can already see Ivy's just got another step to him that, you know, these guys are struggling with. But once you get out, you know, once you get past the first eight minutes of the starters playing, then you run into some trouble. And then you have a historically bad second unit. And that is where the frustration is, is you will watch. And I have, unfortunately, like it sounds like Adam has too, watched, you know, I'd say I'd watch maybe eight out of, maybe eight out of 10 games or whatever. And they compete when Cade's out there, it's a competitive team. The second he comes off the floor, everything falls apart. Um, you know, they are going to have another lottery pick quite likely next year, um, which is good. Uh, but that second unit is abysmal and it makes it re- them really frustrating to watch. And unfortunately for the first time, maybe in the last 15 years, the East is the better conference deeper at the very least. And so they're getting beat up. You know, they've already played Milwaukee twice. They're steamrolling, you know, they've got, you know, they played, you know, they beat golden state. They've had a really tough schedule and they got a hard one coming up. So I think you're unfortunately going to see a team that might only go five and 20 to start the year. But I think as things start to turn, you know, You'll 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 see a change midseason in this team, and I think the question is: is what is Troy gonna? You know, Troy's got some decisions to make. What do you do with Stewart? What do you do with Bay? And then, for the love of God, would you find some NBA caliber players on the bench? Would someone send Killian Hayes to Neptune, please? Can we just stop? Can we just stop this? I asked for it last year. I said, please get rid of this guy. Isaiah Stewart has made more three pointers this year than Killian Hayes has made like shots from the field. Like, I mean, it, it, it's just absurd. It's absurd. So Bogdanovich was an outstanding move. Um, that will pay dividends next year. Um, I, but they are frustrating to watch and you know, I don't have a whole lot of answers. Well, Bogdanovich was his, was his Perron move um, a, yeah. bringing in a veteran guy who can pl- just play. It got um, nothing for him. I mean, it took yeah. nothing to get him. Yeah. And I, oh, go ahead, Adam. Go ahead. The, the, the only thing that stresses me out about the Bogdanovich move is, it, it, and I think it, it makes for very weird lineups out there because the minutes that he should be really playing, in my estimation, are the Hadid Bay minutes, right? The, and I know the, and then they have them out on the floor. I think Fadiq Bay for and, and you know like last year they put him in the first quarter he start he'd be on fire and then all of a sudden you didn't see him till like the middle of the third quarter right now I can be honest and say maybe I'm overrating Fadiq Bay. 
But I, I, I actually find it interesting that there isn't any team out there that he, that has reached out and wanted Sadiq Bay on their team to kind of put, not yes. necessarily that he's a superstar, not that he's a superstar, but he's a guy that could be a major building piece. And it's not very clear to me what they're doing with Sadiq Bay on this team. Especially no, no, with- you're, I think you're right. No, I think you make a really good point. I think this is the, this is the Achilles heel of Troy Weaver is that he just, he assembles these parts and he just can't get them to work. And la- the last two years, the issue that we've complained about is that they were all bad parts. Now the parts are starting to be good, right? He still inexplicably has Diallo and Kevin Knox and he been blackmailing him to keep on the roster. I don't know what's happening, but like, He's got to, Adam is exactly right. It doesn't, the lineups they're putting out there, even their most talented ones, they don't fit well. They don't space the floor correctly. And Bay, Stewart, and Bogdanovich is a, it's a real issue, which is why Duran is such a game changer in there. And I think when Bagley comes back, things will get a little bit cleaner, but something's got to happen with Stewart and Bay. One of them's got to go, if not both. Right. No, I, and, and I'm telling you right now is it just when, when you're looking and I, I, I've had a couple of people say, well, it, Dwayne Casey's the problem. No, no. Dwayne Casey's doing what he can do with. Yeah, the team it's a together. funky it's a funky roster. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I guess and I, I guess I don't know what the, the vision of Troy Weaver is at this point. Right. I, I, I just I don't know what he's trying to put together as far as the roster goes. Because in the end, you know, during that pick is a no-brainer. That that was an absolute no-brainer. And I think Ivy is unbelievably talented, right? I mean, he really is. I mean, he's not going to be as good as the uh, uh, the name escapes me from Orlando. That's just been unbelievable. Yeah, Pantero, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I, I'm just struggling to figure out what the vision of the, this organization That's is. Fair. Right. And, and I, you know what? The problem is we've been having this conversation now going on like two years. And it, it just, I, I, I don't know. And I just, I feel like Shadiq Bay's a guy that in order for him to be good, he's got to get a certain number of shots out, out on the court. But then in the meantime, you get Isaiah Weavers out there. You get, you know, even they're letting Stewart shoot from three. Uh, then you get Bodanovich. And then Kate Cunningham is, Kate is a great player. But I, I somehow, I, I don't I, he almost tries to do too much out there. And I think the expectations are very high at Kate at this point. You can feel he's pressing and he's succeeding, which is speaks to his ex- extraordinary talent. Most guys, when they press, you know, it doesn't go well. And when he's pressing, he's, you know, doing 25, five and five out there. And people are throwing up graphics, comparing him to, you know, Jordan's second season statistically and they're favorable. Um, but he is, he's doing too much out there. No, I think Adam, you nailed it. You know, I think they are perhaps a, you know, kind of in the same vein as the Tigers, you know, like, you know, baseball is so much more complex in terms of the roster. Uh, so that you can't just make the easy equivalency there. But the Pistons have to do something similar. And they've got to create an identity. And they've got to clean out the, the, the maybe maybe the good components, some of the riffraff, certainly. The bench is just absolutely atrocious, historically bad. I can't. I literally will turn, I will literally turn the game off when the first substitutions are made and I will come back. I figured out how to time it. I will not watch that second unit play basketball. I, I cannot physically. 
I and 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 I think you know when Bagley comes back, I think it'll be interesting to see whether or not that they're able to do some better lineups as well. Um, yeah. I, I think I think Bagley not being there, and now with Durant, I mean, you know, they got mowed over on Friday night by Kevin yep. Love. I didn't even know Kevin Love was, was still in the league. It was right. embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it's just. Whew. The future is bright for them. I would say, you know, in a moment in time, you know, they're probably behind only the Red Wings in terms of their potential. Um, you know, the Tigers could catch up to them rapidly depending on what they do because they do have the talent in the system. Um, but, you know, it, it's another – and probably another year or two of a slog, you know, unless they win the lottery Olympics and get the 7-10 guy that can shoot from half court or whatever, the kid from Australia – that no one can guard. So if you get him, then everything changes. So sizing rings up for an uh, NBA championship. He's like um he's like uh, Brendan Fraser's character from Yes, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. just shooting from half court. It's just making it, yeah. Um so we'll see. It, it really the big question here is um is Trey Weaver capable of not tinkering? Um be, and it's actually it's way beyond tinkering it's whatever whatever it is that he does is he capable of actually just getting to a point where he's like okay i'm just gonna let these guys go for a little bit uh he's not there now anyway no but but, but, I'm, but it, it, that's what i look at as a, as a casual observer is like can he let it go when the time comes when you've got this really good talent together because that core is there again really young guys with a lot of talent but but the the thing to me though is that like I'm an IT guy and I'm but I'm trying to grasp watching the Pistons what they have right I mean I've gone on and on now for a couple of years about the bizarre usage of Deep Bay and I just think it's wrong. The problem is I don't know if Trey Weaver knows any better. I know he knows better, but it's not clear that he knows better. That's the problem. I don't know. There's no vision for this team, and it's just driving me bonkers. Yeah, I think he is. He is playing wait and see. I think he's kind of trying to let this sort itself out. And that is a, that's a risky move to make. You know, I think initially, I think, you know, I was expecting them to deal Bogdanovich, uh, the deadline. They may still, even with the extension, um, you know, but he's going to have to make some pivot moves and they're going to go one or two ways. I think they are either going to try to extend this rebuild out another year or two and kind of sell these guys off or they're going to pull off something that, you know, brings them significant talent, but moves a couple of guys that you like out of here, you know, that maybe moves Ivy and Stewart and, and more both, you know, maybe throws in a first round pick to go out and acquire, you know, a serious talent, you know? So and, and, we shall see. That is, that is in the end. I mean, you can continue drafting in, in the NBA, but you're going to have to add a very formidable, talent on, on that front line that yes. really is where that that's the you're going to have to and you're going to have to do it in trade right you, mm-hmm. you won't be able to do it feel free agent almost certainly yeah. Um, no, yeah and and he's going to have to figure out Troy Weaver's going to have to figure out what that is yeah sure. yep. so saving the worst for last we have um my favorite team to make fun of in the Detroit Lions absolutely and um, well, that has not gone well. Um, 
I don't know what to say. I really don't. Um, no bueno. Just no bueno. Well, I'll, I'll say this about the team. Um, uh, I, I think that I, I go back to what I, you know, I, I think the expectations of this team were measurably too high going into the season. And Always. whenever I look at, but, but I thought they were a little rambunctious this year, and especially because of the hard knocks and whatever. I thought there was a lot of a little um, undeserved excitement about this organization going into the season. And I think the, the other thing I would say is that I, I keep on going back and, and Brandon, you, you've done it. You, every other show that we've been on, you personally think Robert, Bob Quinn and Matt, Matthew, Patricia for leaving an unbelievably, uh, this organization in complete total shambles, even worse than the, any other organization has. This is a team that two years ago when they left when they were fired probably had no more than maybe six or seven NFL players, let alone starters or whatever. I mean, they they had this roster was unbelievably over the top awful. And part of it was just moves that were just head scratchers. And actually this week we were kind of proven at least with the with the uh, TJ Hawkins move that at the very least, if you feel like someone's not going to be part of your organization, you just don't throw them away like the, the Quandary Diggs and Darius Slay, right? You you yeah. just don't you, you just yeah. don't leave them out in the in, in the in the field and let someone else pick. They went out, they they said, Hey, TJ Hawkinson, you sound like you're gonna want $15 million a year. We're not interested in doing $15 million a year, so we're gonna get a second and third round draft choice for you. Yeah, fourth round, blah, blah, blah. I couldn't care less about that. You, you can you can trade up and down and get more draft choices in, in that in those running fine. Um and I think the real shame for this team uh is they were given a little hope that DeAndre Swift was going to be a formidable NFL running back at the end of last year with his play. Uh, and he's proven basically to be nothing like that. I mean, and, and it's very clear. Um, what is very clear about this team is one, DeAndre Swift will not be part of this organization next year. And the other player that will not be part of this organization next year will be jerk off. They, they will figure out some way of not having those two guys on the field because I do believe this organization believes if DeAndre Swift would have played at the level he did the last seven or eight games last year into this season, they'd have probably probably three wins, three wins. They, they, they would be respectable at this point. And I think they have no use for Jared Goff. I think Jared Goff and Tyler Murray can hang out together because they're not football players. They're quarterbacks making a lot of money, but they're not in it to win it, period. And I will tell you, I think I know that Dan Campbell, there's a lot of hygiene similarity with him. And I think part of it is, like we talked about earlier, way more, way more um, uh, biased toward analytics than, than he really, really needs to be doing. Uh, and but I, I think the other thing, though, and I think the most interesting thing about this team right now, and, and I think it will be talked about, is Brad Holmes or yeah, Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell not being on the same page as far as this roster goes. Uh, and and I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think at, you know, Adam, that is where I, I scratch my head the most. I have many thoughts, um, but I think I just something, so there's a disconnect between the two of them on the defensive side of the football. And one of them must have thought very strongly that they had an NFL caliber roster 
of uh, in the, on defense, and they do not, and they do not, and they and they never will this year. And I think that is just a fundamental failure. And I don't know where to place it. I, I don't, and so I'm not going to say it's Holmes' fault. You know, I lean towards him because at the end of the day, he's the the general manager. He's like buck stops with you. Um, but they just didn't assemble an NFL defense. And so you just can't, you can't build the kind of momentum you need to when you, when you have just base failure and it didn't have to be that way. They could have gone out and signed some guys. They could have made some trades and they couldn't have made that absolutely boneheaded NFL trade, you know, the draft trade, which is just a terrible decision. And Williams may be a Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver. But Adam, I would make the same argument that you do about Swift. You have a linebacker drafted number 32 or whatever that pick was, they might have another win because it's not Anzalone trying to cover Tyreek Hill in the flat. Like if they actually had more than one NFL caliber linebacker on this team, you know, and not relying on a sixth rounder that's probably gonna be out of the league in three years because he tries to hit a brick wall every time he makes a tackle. Like I, it's just it's just boneheaded decisions. And, and it, the, the, the one thing I'll say, and I'll find the article for you guys, but but I think the one thing uh, that has happened is, is that this is an organization that is not going to be able to go out and get free agents because they're going to have, because you're, you know, just like we talked about, just like Justin says, worst organization arguably in the NFL. And you're not necessarily going to be able sports. to get free agents. There you go. That that's fine. Whatever your your uh, your determining your uh, uh, you know standards are, that's fine. And but but to that point, are you as a free agent going to come to the Lions with it being the worst run organization in in, in sports? Probably not. And that's where you've got to go out. And and I think the other problem though is that these last two drafts that Brad Holmes has been in along with Dan Campbell and the, the, the Oregon organization they've not been very good drafts there has not been a lot of good players available and even especially at that stretch and and I think that I mean that's been the real real challenge and I'll tell you something too is that I don't expect in the draft a quarterback I think they will try to figure out a veteran trade solution because I'll tell you right now I would not want to be pinning my hopes on any of these rookie quarterbacks right now in college football. Um, and I, I mean, don't tell me CJ Stroud. I mean, he, he might be all right, especially after watching Trevor Lawrence just not being able to perform at all after everything that he did at Clemson. Um, but, uh, you know, right now it, it doesn't look good. I think this team would have a couple more wins if they had you know, a, a healthy DeAndre Swift, but regardless, it, it, that doesn't matter in the whole scheme of things because you right now uh, have a defense that is not in line with the way your general manager thinks, and that has to be something they can figure out very quickly. Yeah, you know, I, I tend to agree with you on a quarterback. The problem is, is you could actually make that strategy work if you have a Pro Bowl running back. And if Swift is not going to be here next year, then that takes that off the board. You know, right. the, he clearly is, has loads of talent. You know, I mean, he, he can be explosive when he's out there, but it's just something's not quite, you know, he struggles to stay healthy. You know, obviously there was the drama with hard knocks. You know, you just don't, you don't quite know what you're going to get from the guy. Right. And um, again, I just don't, it's just hard to imagine this team. Again, there's no trajectory to me. Like, 
when, when you look at the other team, like Stevie has done the best job of creating a trajectory and executing because he's the best GM in town and he's one of the best GMs in hockey. Yeah. Um, you know, with the Tigers and with the Pistons, you know, we've talked at nauseum today, they have decisions to make which create the trajectory, but they have the talent. Both both of them do. They have some tough things they got to work through, though. The Lions, they don't have either. They don't have it. They don't have the talent. They don't have a trajectory. They don't have an identity. They have none of the, the the decision points that face the other three teams in town as they rebuild. They, they don't, the Lions have none of it. Right. You know, and yeah, and I don't think Bryce Young changes that to Adam's point. I think Bryce Young is just going to go out there and get annihilated. <laughs> you know, because right. you know, because even as much as we like, you know, Sewell, he has been dominated a couple of times this year on the field. I mean, just beaten like a dead horse. And, you know, he was one of the, the stable picks, right? And I'm not saying he's a bust or anything like that, but it's concerning. You know, when you go out there and your marquee tackle is getting getting it taken to him. So, you know, and, and thank God Chase Young wasn't healthy for the commanders game. Or that might have been a loss, and they could be winless right now, you know. So yep, but yep, you're right. It's 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 just disappointing because it, it, they just can't seem to find a path, you know, and it's, yeah, it's just, there's just no confidence. And it's just like, I, I, I how do you regress? Right. I mean, like they were so aimless no. in the early 2010s and yet they had Matt Stafford and, and Calvin Johnson. Like they at least had something that you could say, well, we got the best wide receiver in football, you know, and a quarterback who's, you know, upper, upper tier, not, you know, not top five or anything. But And, and, and before that they had Barry Sanders. Right and 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 so that gave Lions fans something to watch. It gave them something to do. They had some. They had Caldwell and his very decent years. They had some other things going on over the years that gave Lions fans a little bit of hope. And now we've devolved even worse. You know, you, for, first you had the whole Millen debacle, which just proved this organization was the worst organization in professional sports in my mind but then quinn and patricia and and i did not expect them to be the jokers that they turned out to be i didn't expect it to be that bad truly and now what because i i don't know that holmes and campbell are necessarily bad i just don't know that they're good and I, I just, what do, you, what do you even do at this point? Like, how can you be this bad at picking leaders? You know, and obviously it goes, this goes back to the Ford family, right? But like, just, just accidentally, they should well, get it right. I, I think you, I think the one thing you got to make sure to understand is well over 80% of, of choices of NFL coaches specifically and in front offices are usually failures within three years, right? I mean, when you think about sure. health, you, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, in my lifetime, there's been two pivotal moments with the, the, the Lions organization. One was when uh, Ford Senior decided that he was going to go more with the Chuck Schmidt over Ron Hughes and Kevin Colbert. That 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 was a, a pivotal moment right there because you had basically two guys that left for Pittsburgh and basically built a very sustaining long term dynasty for a well over twenty years. Yeah. That that that's the one. Secondly, is I think there was a rash move 
that got done after when, when you draw uh, that, that, you know, Martin Mayhew, when they let go of Martin Mayhew, and then they really just said, we're going to rebuild the organization again. Uh, rather than try to build out what they had in 2014 when they went to the playoffs, they, they, they were that close beating Dallas. And some people really still believe that that was a ref, bad referee call. They went the rebuild route and, and they didn't go out and try to figure out how to bring in a much more proven person than a Bob Quinn into the front office. And that started a second tailspin of this organization. And right now, I think the unfortunate part is you are not going to be able to make a change in this organization at all until after the third year, maybe even the fourth year is done. Because at that point, to your point that you've made many times, Justin, this organization actually has to get to a point where it has pieces that a, a new regime would even want to work with this organization. That's how bad it is. That's really, truly how bad it is. And we end on that cheerful note. Um. <laughs> I think that when you talk about low points, Matt Patricia calling plays for Bailey Zappi. I mean, I don't know if you can get any lower than that. Like, <laughs> like the big story that day was all about, you know, the Patriots and 29 nothing and all that. But Matt Patricia was calling plays for Bailey Zappi. And they were being successful. Yeah. I mean, Matt Patricia would have turned Peyton Manning into Kerry Collins. So, like, when he's taking a third-string quarterback and winning and putting up 29, like, I just, it makes me physically ill. Like, Matt Patricia didn't even have a job in the NFL. He's that bad. And he took a third-string quarterback and he embarrassed you. Sell the team. <laughs> and there you have it. Well, on that note, that's going to wrap it up. And, and honestly, we didn't even touch on a lot of things. I think we should talk about the World Series, baseball playoffs. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on some of that stuff. Um, you know, for the World Series, um, one thing I do want to say, Verlander got his first World Series win. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy for him as still his World Series uh, pitching record is no bueno. The rest of it is pretty amazing. Uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. But yes. um, other thing I'll say is clearly, at least for the World Series, Altuve uh, remembered that one buzz means fastball, two buzzes means uh, off-speed pitch. Um, the rest of his playoffs was a little rougher. But uh, in any case, all that and, and Philly fans, I've really kind of chuckled at this, talking about how signing Nick Castellanos was the worst uh Worst uh, free agent move in the history of baseball. Not that they're a little, uh, you know, over dramatic, but in any case, all that said, lots of fun stuff. So we'll do this again much sooner. And, um, and cause things are about to get a little wild as we get into uh, Turkey time and then uh, December. So. I, I think the story of the world theory, who's Dusty Baker winning. Yes. He didn't have one black player on either team. That, that is the, uh, Glad to That's see a him. problem. Good That's a problem. Yes, Dusty. Dusty. Yeah, absolutely. very happy. Yes. Very happy for Dusty Baker. Yeah, good point. Uh, I did enjoy something I saw this morning. 
uh, Dusty Baker after the final play, you know, that catch, he didn't celebrate. He marked the play on his scorecard first. That I cannot tell you how happy that makes me. <laughs> it's so stupid, but um, as somebody who enjoys keeping score, that is absolutely what you do. You mark it, then you celebrate. That is clearly what you now i can't say if i i don't remember what i did for the verlander no hitter if i marked it first and then celebrated or celebrated first i actually don't remember i don't remember either um there was a lot of yelling though there was a lot of yelling we were very happy we were very happy um but um in any case on that note dusty's been in baseball since 1968 so you know routine is routine it is it is on that note, uh, that'll wrap it up for another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium for Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson. My name is Justin Lee. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.